I feel like if I were to show up 15 minutes from waking up, that person is going to get robbed of the service that they're paying for because I'm not bringing what I need to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just is not the way you're successful. You want to make sure that every time you step in front of somebody, you bring everything that you have so that they can continue to maximize from your coaching and your training. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today, I've got a personal friend. He is a sport performance coach for NBA basketball players and a consultant, Mike G. What up, man? Yes, yes, y'all. How you doing? Great, man. I'm stoked to finally connect with you. We were just chatting about it. We met about five years ago Mm -hmm. at a former Super Bowl MVP, Malcolm Mm. Smith's wedding. Sounds great. He's a close personal friend that you know I was fortunate to run track with and... You helped him prepare for his NFL combine. I did. I did. One of my favorite things about Malcolm is just how real he is. Like, if he didn't think your craft was that good, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have, A, invited you to his wedding, and B, he probably wouldn't be in the NFL right now, you know? Can you kind of chat a little bit about, you know, what your, your process was a little bit with Malcolm? Mm. And, uh, you know, you got his 40-time down significantly for him being a bigger linebacker Mm. and then he was fortunate to get drafted by Pete Carroll as the last pick of the NFL draft unbelievable what was that experience kind of like training Malcolm the experience in itself was amazing he and I initially just for the record I was not the lead coach in that program that year Mm -hmm. I was an assistant but I feel like one of my main strengths and jobs during that time was to always bring the energy yeah you know imagine this young up-and-coming performance coach that's wet behind the ears and don't know what he's doing or saying, just fresh from college football, ready to start the new chapter of life and excited to be in the position that he's in Mm -hmm. around NFL caliber football players that he, that myself once wanted to be a part of, right? So, you know. How old were you when you got to work with him a little bit? 27. Nice. 27 years old, so not too young relatively uh, young in the, in, in the field, a, a part of my role was bringing that energy. And I think that's what created an affinity and a bond with a lot of the guys. They drew to me because I was able to identify and mm-hmm. I was able to connect. And, you know, whether that w- was through music or, you know, lifestyle or what have you, it, it, you know, one of the main things about what I tell people as young and up-and-coming coaches is you got to learn how to communicate. You got to learn how to identify yep. with people. And it doesn't matter who they are, you need to understand that not everyone is coached the same. Oh, yeah. So depending on who's in front of you, you adjust the way you speak to them. Yeah. And Malcolm and I hit it off. We, you know, he even admitted to me, like, he's like, Mike, man, I, I really rock with what you say and what yeah. you do. Like, you, everything that you say makes sense. I know that you care. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that was the big thing when I, when I privately spoken to him a little mm-hmm. bit. He just authentically shared how much you cared. Yes. And, and I think that's just an absolute game changer exactly. in, in the world of sport performance coaching. You know, what was your upbringing kind of like, you know, and what was your introduction to athletics at a young age mm-hmm. that eventually led to the life that you're living now? Yeah, no, I think that the passion that comes with the territory of team sport is mm-hmm. what translated well with me and my coaching. Mm-hmm. And I played football as well. I played uh, receiver in, at the D2 college level. And I've always been the leader rah-rah guy. Yeah. It, it was a natural 
trait that I brought to the table, whether it was good or bad, I, I didn't care. I was just It was that authentically guy. you, man. It was just me. <laughs> and people followed, I guess. And it was obviously seamlessly integrated into my coaching, being able to get guys motivated and oh, excited yeah. and, you know, always uplifting and never trying to put down. I think that just came from how I was brought up as a child. Like my dad was military background, so he raised me a certain type of way that was very motivating and and it just instilled different types of values in which I carried with me throughout my entire adulthood life into my profession and how I communicate with others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you refine that obviously as you go through the, the, the ranks of your professional life to fit the demographic that's in front of you. But, you know, football and strength and conditioning are one in one. Yeah. It's a life. It's it's the culture. Yeah. And it's easy to get guys in the weight room and push weights around and get crazy and crank mm-hmm. the music because that's just who we are. Yeah. So it was always a natural transition for me to do that. It's also your livelihood. I mean, you're creating that armor for protection. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it was just very natural and easy for me to do. That's always. cool. Yeah. You, you mentioned a little bit of the structure and whatnot that your dad kind of brought. Is mm-hmm. there anything like – specific that you use now with regards to how you structure your day or your life Mm. or your coaching that he kind of instilled in you yeah everything is regimented everything is a routine everything is consistency everything is scheduled so if you are brought up that way and you consistently practice that over and over again you're going to naturally carry that over into your adult life and all of a sudden you start to educate yourself with different types of things that work within your routine. So for instance, every morning, I, you know, I try to keep my morning routine exactly the same. And I try to keep my nighttime routine exactly the same, go to bed at the same times, wake up at the same time so that you can create a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then once you catch that rhythm, everything just falls into place. Life just, just seems easy or mm-hmm. not easy, easier. What does your morning routine look like? So right now I, my first client is at five thirty in the morning. So I have never been the one to get up out of bed and go to work. I have to prepare myself for my clients so that I bring what I know I can bring to the table day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And behind that mentality, there has to be things that you do to get to your best point Mm -hmm. mentally and physically. So, for instance, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll make a French press coffee and a matcha green tea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's going to be something that not only helps me from the caffeine standpoint, but also it gets me in the mindset of, all right, it's time to, you know, wake up, switch into work mode, start to think about what I have in front of me, the sessions that I have, the types of athletes I have in front of me. And it's already going to create a specific concentration and focus to show up ready to go for that specific person at 530 in the morning. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I were to show up 15 minutes from waking up, that person is going to get robbed of the service that they're paying for because I'm not bringing what I need to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just is not the way you're successful. You want to make sure that every time you step in front of somebody, you bring everything that you have so that they can continue to maximize from your coaching and your training. I love that level of professionalism that you bring to this craft, man. There's a reason why some of these big names, you know, continue to reach out and seek your Mm -hmm. services. What does your uh, evening routine kind of look like to downregulate from the day? Downregulate, beautiful phrase. I think that there are many different factors that will go into your, your, your downregulation. And 
depending on if you have a wife or children, is also going to have to play a part into your routine. So for me, I don't have any kids, but I do have a wife, and wifey time is very important. Yep. So that's obviously built into the routine. You know, you have to make sure that everyone in your household is taken care of, including yourself, right? I just try to have a target bedtime. So let's just say it's like 9.45 or 10 p.m., 2,200 hours for my military people out there Mm -hmm. and just subtract from there. So like if I want to be in bed by 10, let's, let's start my down regulation routine, 60 to 70 minutes out. Yeah. So maybe at 850, you know, I make sure I'm no more hydration. So I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night and go use the restroom. You know, maybe I take my, my hot shower or whatever to kind of start to ease down. I do use CBD mm-hmm. for, for sleep, so maybe I'll pop a, you know, a, a CBD gummy or something like that or whatever the, the administration is at that time. And uh, we'll have Netflix. We'll have Netflix night, and you know, we'll sit on the couch, lounge, and hang out with each other. And, and get some you time. Get some, uh, get some, get some wifey and, and, and husband time and, and, and creep into the down-regulation state to where yep. I'm starting to fall asleep on the couch. All right, it's time to head upstairs and, 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 and call it. And most of the time she'll stay up and, and cause she's a night owl and she'll do her thing and that's okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, you, you know, everything, everything is going to work itself out and you're going to find your rhythm, but that's generally how my down regulation starts. You know yeah, what I like mean? That. And uh, again, we're just trying to get into bedtime mode mm-hmm. an hour away bef- instead of just, you make it a precedent yeah. rather, rather than just like trying to press a button to get there. Exactly. W- yeah. Which is important. The acknowledgement. Do you ever play with any of like the breathing apps or the meditation yeah. apps at all? I don't play. I don't use the apps in itself because I have been studying these types of things like parasympathetic tone and mm-hmm. increasing that for quite some time. So I don't necessarily use an app to practice my breathing per Mm -hmm. se because I've been around it for so long that I just know you know within myself and within my own practice how to to get that so uh you know a lot of the box breathing stuff Mm -hmm. is amazing even Apple Watch has a mode a breathing mode that you can control the variables of inhale inhalation exhalation to however much time that you want each phase to be. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, you could do stuff like that, but, you know. So you get elements of uh, organic and intrinsic versions of the XPT breathing, like the Wim Hof type stuff. And, you know, you've studied it long enough where Mm -hmm. you can take more of like an intuitive approach. Exactly. And what works for you, really? Like, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to figure out what makes sense to your body. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? You mentioned briefly the Apple Watch What are your thoughts on some of the data apps, right? Like we see the Whoop, we see the Mm. Fitbit, we see the Apple Watch and like Mm. there's a time and a place for it, sure, right? But then I also notice like when you're looking at HRV on the Whoop, Mm. right? Like some people will see, hey, I'm always not fully recovered. And then Mm. that changes the mental state. Big time. Right? Like what are your thoughts on some of the uh, data apps and data things that are out there for performance? This, I think, has to be taken with a grain of salt. It's never live and die by anything that is technologically based because of the of the mental piece that you just spoke of. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that there is some good to be had from the technology. Mm-hmm. I personally have used Aura Ring as well as Whoop. Oh, nice. So I have some experience with both. Right now I'm using Whoop. And I think that it's all about how you read the information, how you consume the information and what do you and do you use it as a 
actionable way to create behavioral change. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really great approach to it where mm. it's like it's not the answer to the world's problems. It's not going to exactly. make you an NBA basketball player overnight. Correct. But it can instill habits. Mm-hmm. And those habits mm-hmm. performed consistently can potentially get you to the NBA. Exactly. I think uh, the best way to describe the power of the information is a, sh- a small story, short story. We were speaking previously to recording about Coach Pemberthy. Shout mm-hmm. out to Mike Pemberthy with the Lakers. Yep. I was working with his son. I recommended the Whoop for him, and he would he was wearing it for like seven days, and it would never register sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're we're like troubleshooting. Like, why is this? Is it broken? Like, mm-hmm. do we need to send it back? Whatever. And um, you know, so now I go into the think box. Like, okay. What are you eating before bed? Are you eating sugar before bed? Do you have a routine? Are you know, are you drinking caffeine? Like what what are, what is going on? Like why is it your whoop registering sleep? And finally, I got into the temperature question. Like, do you sleep hot? Do you sleep cold? Like what what? How do you feel when you sleep? And he's like, man, I'm always hot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, wh- why are you always hot? He's like, my mom don't let the thermostat go below 77. And I'm like. Ideal sleep is what, like between 67? 67. Yeah. Okay, so I'm like, all right, can we please have, uh, I believe her name is Wendy, Mrs. Pemberthy will just say, just bring it down to 73. Just, yeah. just humor me. And then me. he can use a fan from there. Just humor me. Started registering sleep. He was so hot. His, heart, his resting heart rate was so high, mm-hmm. the whoop didn't think he was sleeping. Wow. Because he was so hot. And then all of a sudden, it started registering sleep That's because he really was hot. cool. I, I also just want to take a moment for our listeners to realize you mentioned such a cool concept, the think box, Yeah. right? Like some coaches would be like immediately like, oh yeah, let's get you a new whoop, mm. new whoop, or mm-hmm. like they would just like jump to certain things. Right. And you took a step back and you looked at specific lifestyle Absolutely. factors. Yeah. You broke it apart as to how you could potentially actually serve him sure. rather than just like, yeah, go check this out or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think that really shows your, your ability to care. And also yes. your understanding of the technology, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that you always got to look at yourself, you know, or, you know, look within yourself first before you start to look outside, mm-hmm. always. And that's always going to be something that I practice. So that's, that's kind of a reflection of that process is, you know, look, look, well, before we start blaming the technology, let's look within ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we problem solved. We brought the, <laughs> thankfully brought the thermostat down from 77 to 75. That was a compromise. And he started sleeping way better, his quality sleep. So now if you put that in the grand scheme of things, you know, he's, he was 16 at the time, 17 at the time, maybe, I don't know, the course of a few, uh, you know, a few weeks, let's just say, of him sleeping uh, with his body temperature a little bit higher than normal means he's getting robbed of quality sleep. You know, you can go into REM, you can go into deep sleep, but basically the fact of the matter is he's not recovering. Mm-hmm. And the kid is training hard, practicing hard, playing hard probably every day. Mm-hmm. So he's not getting the opportunity to recover from said training. Yeah. And just by wearing this piece of technology, we were able to troubleshoot that. That's and cool. I feel like that right there is an instance of why this this is something that can yeah, be Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great Great description. We work with Whoop with some of our athletes mm-hmm. down at Invictus, and, and it's pretty cool, you know, when you use the technology mm-hmm. appropriately. That exactly. like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That, that gets me fired up. Not to mention at 16, 17, the amount of growth hormone, like, you know, he, he's exactly. evolving and growing. Exactly. And, like, I think that's really rad that you were able to kind of get mm-hmm. him to sleep. 
So you you mentioned playing Division Two mm-hmm. college football and yep. playing receiver I and did. doing a great job, like being the rah rah guy and yeah. getting everybody going. What was your <laughs> education like at that time? I'm gonna age myself. I'm 36, so my junior and senior season, I was like 23, 22, 23. So the World Wide Web was out, but we weren't really on YouTube like that. Are mm-hmm. you? Are, how old are you? I just turned 30. Okay, so I'm a little older than you. So. YouTube wasn't big like that. There, there wasn't a lot of internet training. Mm-hmm. So I think everything was learned through experience with other coaches and other trainers. Mm-hmm. I did have a trainer that I worked with in Northern California that used to train me. Looking back on it, maybe we weren't doing the best things, but that's okay because... It you was, learned what not to do it, as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it was all about intention. Mm-hmm. And, and that alone psych- psychologically can be enough. What am I doing to better myself? And am I doing it well enough to create the psychological edge that like, yes, I'm, a pre- I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. And that in itself can be very powerful. For sure. So that's what, what, you know, where I felt like the training that we practiced at that time was to translate over into higher performance. Mm-hmm. If, if you were to ask me, were we doing good things? Probably not, mm-hmm. knowing what I know now. But mm-hmm. again, it was the intention. Back in those days, those days, I'm not that old, but 10 years ago, guys were lifting super heavy and super slow. Mm-hmm. For a receiver, maybe not the best thing we should be doing at this point in time now yep. that we know what we know. But that's okay because, you know, it gave us the the psychological edge that we needed within ourselves to say, hey, you know what, we're prepared for this season. I'm outworking my opponent, which means now I can beat my opponent. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the... I think the other day I, I was watching a YouTube video with you and you, you made this really profound comment that I loved. I think somebody had asked like, how many hours a day should people train or how many days a week should people train? Mm-hmm. And you said every day. Mm-hmm. There's always some facet where Absolutely. we can get a little bit better. Yes. Would you mind touching on that a little bit? Yeah. What I meant by that was training doesn't need to be hard all the time. Oh, that's so, so, <laughs> so important. Right? So true. Sometimes less is more. And I, I was just trying to build the point of like, just because we're not training hard doesn't mean we shouldn't be training some things. There's yeah. always something to get better or something to be worked on. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big, uh, I'm a big follower of the, the fellows at Institute of Motion, mm-hmm. which is Michelle Dalcord and all the guys with the Viper and all that. And they have working out and they also have working in. Oh, that's cool. And working in just basically means we're training, but we're just low-level intensity. We're working on our mobility. We're working on breathing. Mm-hmm. We're working on things that doesn't necessarily spike the nervous system mm-hmm. or upregulate the nervous system, but still you're getting better at something. Mm-hmm. So that was just me just trying to say to people, it's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do, and mm-hmm. not every day needs to be intense. Not every day needs to be hard. And the training session is not qualified by the intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that approach. I also think that's really rad to look inward, working, right? Working in, exactly. I mean, I mean, all these guys, like, I don't think people realize the lifestyle of an NBA player. Constant travel, mm-hmm. constant expectation, mm-hmm. the need to constantly perform, mm-hmm. managing themselves, their families, the mm-hmm. emotions, provide. everything around, provide mm-hmm. the pressure to stay injury-free, hydrate and, and eat appropriately while constantly on the road and not having the best options available all mm-hmm. the time, uh, sleep deprivation, comfort while traveling, right? Like that's a, that's a big one where it's like mm-hmm. you chat a lot about mobility and optimizing movement mechanics. Mm-hmm. That's really hard when you're sitting on a plane for a really long time. 
Absolutely, right? especially if you're six nine. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you for know what sure. I mean? <laughs> like you have done an incredible job working with some big time athletes. And you know, when I met you at Malcolm's wedding, I, I didn't know at the time that you were working with a good friend, Drew Holiday. Mm. And you and I just chatted a little bit that, you know, he is now entering his twelfth year in the yep. NBA. Yep. Shout out to you, Drew. I mean that that's a very long time. Drew Holiday. And there's been a lot of, of highs, lows, and everything for, for, for him throughout his career. I know he, he was very emotionally vulnerable with what his wife went through mm-hmm. there for a while. And just, I feel like through it all, he stayed re- level-headed. Yep. And a lot of that stems from his relationship with you, right? When I, when I connect with you, whether that's social media, texting, or just observing you mm-hmm. in your craft, you never get too high. Mm-hmm. You never get too low. Mm-hmm. How have you developed mm-hmm. that ability? And then let's let's dive into some of your. Yeah. I mean, you've trained Drew for how many years now? I started with him his second year in the league, so ten years. Yeah, yeah, going on eleven. You know, let, let's unpack a little bit your level headedness mm-hmm. and kind of where that stems from in your journey. And then let's dive yeah. into your relationship coaching Drew and and now his two brothers that are in the NBA too. Yeah, I think a lot of it. You know, we're shaped by our experiences, right? We're mm-hmm. shaped by how we grow up and who is around us during those moments and times. And my father was, you know, everyone has, no one's perfect is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And there's no book on how to raise a kid. And my dad raised me single father, by the way. My my mom and dad split up when I was relatively young. So my dad was able to, to raise me single father. And If I might say, he did an awesome job. Well, he, I definitely give him a lot of credit. But, you know, I think that because of the fact that he instilled so much discipline into our lifestyle and into my childhood, and even though at the time, obviously, it was pretty difficult to to be ordered around like a little soldier, Mm -hmm. it made me who I am today. Not to mention that I traveled all the time. So I would go from Alabama to Georgia to Louisiana every two years. Little did you know that that serves you really well for the NBA lifestyle. Exactly. And the social aspects of being able to have to make new friends every two years has created a personality now that I'm able to get along with anybody. Yeah. So you def- I mean, that's very true. I mean, for us to hit it off at a wedding when we sure. never met anybody. Sure. Like, that's rad, man. Absolutely. And, and I cherish that. Like, I, I think that that's something that is invaluable and you can't really teach that. It was, it was again, the the environment I was, I had to adapt to. So I'm super thankful for that. And I think that's a main reason of, of why I handle myself the way I do in terms of the level headedness. I just think that humbleness is something that I've always been taught and believed in. You know, I think that, you know, I I don't know why I, I, I was never someone of, what am I trying to say? Someone that kind of bragged or was mm-hmm. arrogant or anything like that. I've always been a humble dude, uh, you know, whether in success or failure. Hate to lose and hate to fail, but never was a bad loser. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay, we'll pick ourselves up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my persona. Yeah. If if we lose, we, we, we will be better next time. Mm-hmm. We'll prepare better. We'll we'll research better. We'll learn more. We'll, we'll figure it out. Like, it's it's not the end of the world because when the ne- the next opportunity comes we're going to shine yeah and and i don't know how that that came about but that's just something that's always been within me ever since i can remember in terms of drew and i i'm i'm really good at mirroring the emotional awareness of 
or the emotional interaction of the person in front of me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to be aware about what's going on socially with your, your client. Otherwise, you're going to make that person go one way or the other in terms of whether they receive messages or whether they block off messages. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm really good at figuring out where his, 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 his mental space is at that given moment in that, in that particular day, and then giving the right amount of dose in terms of communication, in terms of criticism, in terms of encouragement. Like you have to be super emotionally aware Mm -hmm. to be around someone that, that much and not get, like, dude, go away. Like, you're too yeah. much. Yeah. You know what I mean? And For sure. if you're not, they're going to, like, not want you around. Mm-hmm. And that means you can't do your job, and that means you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I was very sensitive to. Okay, Drew's extremely quiet today. Clearly, he doesn't want to talk. Let's not try to talk his head off. Mm-hmm. And let's not bombard him of, what's wrong, bro? You okay? Like, do you need – like, no. Clearly, he – you know, he's – if he wants to talk, he'll, he'll bring it up, mm-hmm. and then you can give your feedback. But if he doesn't, just do your job. Make them feel better, make them ready for the court, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've always been pretty good at and, you know, will continue to, to carry with me with, with whoever I work with. Yeah, the, the other thing that I think you do a really good job of is, is um, managing high egos, mm. right? Like there's a lot of guys, mm. like I, I've observed you give specific instruction for pool workouts. Yeah. And I think some people would, would give pushback. Why am I in the pool? I'm a basketball player. Mm. Why am I doing X, Y, and Z, you know, rotational exercises that, you know, aren't necessarily fast. And what you do a great job of, which is so powerful in this industry is creating buy-in around that. Yes. Right. Like sometimes you'll give pushback and you'll kind of push those buttons to challenge the athlete. Mm. And then other times you give the educational Mm. answer as to here's why we're going to do this. Mm. And I've had a proven track record of keeping guys mm-hmm. injury-free and performing at a high level. And so if you perform this exercise or this activity, you will fall in line with that track record. Absolutely. I think compliance is based off of two things. Number one, uh, the social awareness aspect of just trying to create buy-in of, man, this, this guy actually like really cares. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a business transaction. Mm-hmm. Like, he actually cares about me. He's actually, he's actually invested in me personally. And that makes me feel safe and secure mm-hmm. with this person. And then also education. You, you just hit it right on the head of the nail. Being able to explain things in a way that's digestible for a 19-year-old NBA kid is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And the way you're you not could, using big terminology, you're, you're, you're exactly. bringing it down to their level. Exactly. And quite frankly, if you can't explain it to a third grader, you probably don't understand it well enough yourself. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I think that once you are able to learn that type of communication in which you're still able to get people to nod their head and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. But at the same time, create a reason of why it's beneficial to them, to their sport, then it's easy to get NBA basketball players in the pool, mm-hmm. which is like oil and water, literally. They, yeah. they do not mix. Most basketball players hate the water for whatever reason. Yeah. I'm just a firm believer of changing environments all the time because Mm -hmm. you have to adapt to your environment. And I'm a firm believer of variability. Yeah. And the pool offers so much variability and deload, as you know. Mm -hmm. There's no gravity, gravityless environment. Significantly less impact. I saw you doing some really cool, like, Mm -hmm. jumping drills in the pool with those guys. Yeah. I I think also what what you do a great job of is providing variance with load, right? Like, sometimes it's heavy. 
Sometimes it's light. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's an isometric hold. Mm -hmm. And then other times there's no load and you're having them hold their breath and build CO2 tolerance. Yeah. Like you're, you're hitting it from all the different, different angles. And, And I think that's really rad because you're, you're a busy guy right? Like you're trying to juggle many different things mm. and you're maintaining education mm. from so many different facets. Like that is all that XPT, you know, sure. does sure. is performance training with regards to aquatic based stuff and mm. doing a lot of breathing stuff. Mm. But then you bring in other elements of stuff on the court. You yeah. bring in other elements within the weight room. Like how do you juggle all those things and how do you stay so well versed with basically all of fitness sure. for high-level athletes. First of all, I've been in this game for 11 years now, so I've been around for a while, and I'm just a sponge. I, I came up in the game being a sponge. Anything and everything that I could get my hands on, whether it was articles, podcasts, such as the Invictus podcast, <laughs> mentors, conferences, seminars, anything and everything that I could literally grab and consume as information was the first six years of my life the reason why it's kind of slowed down is because I'm not going to as many conferences now especially with COVID but even before COVID not going as many conferences now you know mainly trying to just keep everything within my fingertips so articles big on podcasts and books right Mm -hmm. this is a young field the field of strength and conditioning and now you could even say a separate field because strength and conditioning is a limiting phrase Mm -hmm. strength and conditioning Mm -hmm. we do so much more yeah we do so much more so let's evolve that into performance coaching Mm -hmm. which now has many different facets uh, facets recovery sleep nutrition performance nutrition recovery nutrition obviously the movement working in working out like so like there's a lot of stuff out there that i feel we as performance coaches must be able to talk about so the, the information out there is plentiful, and there's always an opportunity to get better. I think that continuing the educational process is something that's going to be lifelong if you choose to be a high-quality coach. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm trying to do on a day-to-day basis, whether it's I have a 40-minute commute. I'm not listening to music, even though I love music. I'm listening to the Invictus podcast. <laughs> I'm listening to Breathe by James Nestor, which... He talks about CO2 tolerance. Yep. I'm listening to things that I know that I'm listening to Malcolm X's autobiography. Like I'm just trying to get all the tools in your toolbox. So be, then you can use those tools to help people. Exactly. And, you know, that's not nearly enough justice to how well people can educate themselves and learn. But the point is what I'm trying to paint is continue to learn every single day mm-hmm. and, and make it a part of who you are. Because, like, like brushing your teeth. You wouldn't go a week without brushing your teeth, would you? Mm-hmm. Hopefully not, never, but even though some people probably do. But <laughs> it should be that much of a part of your routine as, as brushing your teeth is. You do it twice a day. Why not sit down for 20 minutes and learn twice a day? Why not? Yeah, so. I, I think that's really cool that you find time to do that. Mm-hmm. And you do it, like you mentioned, like within the, the confines of your day. You're not exactly. necessarily like taking time away from your family and your yeah. wife to do it. You're doing it in your commute or you're doing it during downtime. Mm. I, I love that. I also love that you just take a, a whole a whole life approach, mm. right? You, you know, I see cupping marks. I clearly yeah. know that you're, 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 you're playing <laughs> yeah. with recovery. That's important, yep. right? Like those are elements that, you know, you, you 
practiced mm-hmm. on yourself and you mm-hmm. practice with your with your craft and then you can kind of share that with drew Absolutely. and some of these other guys when they get bumps and bruises yeah and also like understand because i'm not a physical therapist by trade nor a chiro or sports medicine guy i understand philosophies and principles that these these gentlemen use however when they administer some type of modality why shouldn't i understand and know what that feels like and what it does mm-hmm. Because if tissue is changing, that's important to me. Yeah. And I need to know why that is and how that is and what I can do to help that process Mm -hmm. or not disrupt that process. Mm -hmm. So we all have to understand that our lenses and our scopes must coexist and coincide with the other professionals that are being instituted into this athlete's life. Yeah, absolutely. Who are some of the athletes that, you know, you've been able to formulate deep, meaningful relationships with? Mm -hmm. That you know you've you've been able to kind of foster some of your craft with. Well, I mean, needless to say, Drew Holiday is the is like my brother. You know, I've been with him for a little over ten years, so our relationship has obviously grown beyond training. And I'd like to call him like an intern of mine because he can answer all the questions. So, like, mm-hmm. let's say I have six NBA guys in front of me, him included, and I'm asking questions. I have to say. Why are we doing it this way? Drew, don't answer. Because he knows, like, everything Mm -hmm. that I'm talking about. So in terms of the understanding of of what I do and how I do it, he's definitely by far that guy. Who else? I would say, you know, and usually it's it's the the longer relationships that I have fostered with pro guys. Um, I used to work with Victoria Azarenka, Mm -hmm. who is a WTA tennis player. She and I probably worked off and on for about four to five years. Mm-hmm. She ha- was a very smart young young lady that understood everything that I was doing. I would say she was very aware of my techniques, philosophies, and tools. And if not, she would challenge me and ask questions, which is always how I interact with people. Ask. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why ask, not learn? Ask and have the conversation. And, have and, the conversation. And, and then it formulates understanding on one side. And your ability to kind of share in mm. with different analogies or, mm-hmm. or, or, or different lenses. How many times have you been in front of an athlete and you said, well, why are we doing it this way? They say, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you frame it like, well, this is why we're doing it. And all of a sudden, light bulb. Mm-hmm. They completely get why they're doing that exercise or that way of lifting or whatever. Mm-hmm. It fosters motor control as well. Mm-hmm. If I can give an athlete a goal of why they're doing what they're doing, all of a sudden, intention increases, understanding increases, motor control increases, awareness increases, everything increases. And, and buy-in with their coach. And compliance increases, which For is sure. most important. So, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not just talking. It's mm-hmm. so much more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's rad, man. Where did you find the ability to understand that you had to – not just foster relationships, but also find unique ways to communicate movement philosophy. Like, have you ever had instances where you've got tremendous pushback, where it was like an argument in a moment? Or, oh, yeah. you know, I, I think that's all part of the journey. Like, it's easy mm-hmm. for us to sit here and say like, oh, it's really easy. I mm-hmm. provide a program and people mm-hmm. do it and then they're successful. But it's like, you and I both know that like some of these high level athletes come in, they're like, I don't want to do that today. Yep. Uh, I, I, or... or I did something like that yesterday, Yep. right? Like what, what are some experiences yeah. that you've gone through that have, you know, fostered the ability to hone that skill, but also some of the challenges with regards to athlete pushback? That is such a good question and so multifaceted of an answer. First, I'm going to start with understanding that 
not getting done what you want to get done in that specific day is okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, like that's you- such a that's such a <laughs> monk like approach, right? Like that whole concept of it's okay. It's okay. Remove your ego as yeah. a coach, mm-hmm. right? It's like we attach our own emotional charge to the success or failure of your athletes when there's so many variables that go into success yeah. and failure. How do you just remove yourself from that and just be like, listen, this is my role. This is what I know I bring to the table. This is what I'm really good at. How can I continue to put input into the athlete's life that's going to continue to push them in the direction they want to go, not where you want to go? And that's the problem, especially NBA, is like there's a lot of pressure coming from external sources that say to the coaches, you need to get this done. So I understand where that pressure comes from and why they do what they do. I need my guys to be strong. I need my guys to hit these numbers. I need these blah, 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 blah. It's all objective, right? But Mm -hmm. the human organism is so not that. Yeah. Right? It's so subjective. So if I, you know, I want to give a a plug to Corey Schlesinger, who is the head strength and conditioning coach of the Phoenix Suns. Okay. He was with the Stanford uh, basketball team. He got... Uh, he took a job with them. Anyways, the reason why I say him is because he is so great at providing options and solutions to the athlete that comes and says, I don't want to do that today. Mm-hmm. He is able to create a menu that is placed in front of the player and says, okay, you have your appetizer, you got your main course, and you have your dessert. And each course has different exercises, and mm-hmm. they get to choose which exercises they want oh, to do rad. based off of his goal. Yeah. And it's kind of like hiding vegetables in an exactly. omelet. <laughs> it still tastes good, but yeah. you're still getting what you need to get. Yeah. And he, he – I, I thought that was genius. And I just think that that's where coaching – coach, right? The, the word coach needs to go is, is understanding emotional context, mm-hmm. understanding where the athlete has been. He just played 40 minutes. Maybe he doesn't want a heavy squat today. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't. Have you ever played 40 minutes before? Both ways, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard, especially if you didn't ever do that. Mm-hmm. You don't understand. Yeah. I'll never understand. I didn't play 40 minutes uh, in basketball. I played football. Mm-hmm. I'll never understand. So I, I have to believe and trust the athlete. Like, look, Mike, I ain't got it today. Okay, well, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And then you start to be creative and try to, again, go in the direction that the athlete needs to go without letting your own ego as a coach get in the way. Absolutely. That's that's what it comes to. I love that to. approach. I also love the concept of just providing a menu, mm-hmm. right? Because then you, then you put the power in the athlete, and then you're exactly. kind of like guiding them down the right path. Yes. What are your thoughts on like spreadsheets and pre-programming mm. ahead of time or, you know, programming out a week at a time? Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts okay. with, with, with that? And do Oof. you take more of an intuitive approach? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are your thoughts kind of along those lines? I think that anyone that's that's starting within the f- the first five years of their career, they should definitely do that. Yeah. And the reason why is because you're still learning. Mm-hmm. You're still learning how to program. You're still learning acute variables. Mm-hmm. And you're still learning all. And you want to be as organized as possible. And I think that's a very important skill. But I do believe that as you mature and start to get some years under your belt, it becomes more intuitive because yeah. you're able to listen to subjective signs and symptoms that will completely alter your program. Mm -hmm. For instance, you can have this beautiful six-week program, but it never goes the way you see it or you wrote it down, Mm -hmm. ever. Never. You you have to pivot. You have to be able to adapt on the fly. You can't 
predict that your athlete went out until three o'clock in the morning drinking and he has a hard squat day the next day. You mm-hmm. can't predict that. Mm-hmm. But he showed up because he's disciplined. He knows he has to be there. Are you still going to heavy squat that guy? If you do, shame on you, right? Like that. that you, you run the risk <laughs> of potentially doing the worst thing as a strength coach or a performance coach, which is injuring your athlete. Hurting your athlete. And you, you said one of the most profound lines, the best ability is availability. availability. So, you know, I think that, again, has to do with removing your own ego out yeah. of the equation. And just being able to adapt and pivot based off of what's in front of you. It's so cool to hear you give that approach because um, in my early years coaching, you know, a lot of our athletes down at Invictus, I was providing spreadsheets and whatnot. But then I figured over time Mm -hmm. that I was getting the athlete to fit my program Mm -hmm. versus making my program customizable to the athlete. I I think we all do that. We all do that for sure. Yeah. And it was through those trials, those tribulations where I realized like, oh, wow. I need to have a separate mental browser specifically for each person, Mm -hmm. open and close that browser accordingly. And then, you know, at the same time, put in the emotional capacities, right? Because the program that works is the one that you do. Yep. And if you're providing a program that they don't want to do, or they're going to, going to half-ass it, you're not going to get maximized results. Nope. That's so true. And you have to always take into consideration their own input as well Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's something that's super uh we just aren't it's hard to teach you know what i mean it's hard to teach we can talk about it but it's hard to teach it's like i mean i would also say like just like drew and some of these other nba guys have a gift it's a gift yeah exactly right like it's not necessarily a a capacity you can write down on on a on a piece of paper right right and it's only learned through experience yeah and and just working with people Mm -hmm. all different types and then, you know, you just start to pay attention. So, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you've mentioned some really great people in your field. Are there uh, three people within, you know, your, your growth and trajectory over time that you would say have really heavily influenced your career? Well, the first guy that I want to give maximal credit to, whom maybe you've heard of him, maybe not. Uh, his name is Scott Mitchell. The facility that we worked with Malcolm Smith to train him for his pro day, he was at that facility, and he was the lead trainer for that entire combine class. Richard Sherman, Malcolm Smith, Julius Thomas, amongst others. Mm -hmm. He was the one that pretty much brought me under his wing through tough love because we didn't get along and made me think outside of back squat, trap bar, deadlift, bench press. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah football things hang clean football like Mm -hmm. lifts and it's and it's more or less about movement and it's Mm -hmm. about tensegrity and it's about fascial lines and it's about getting guys and gals and athletes to move better Mm -hmm. and feel better versus stronger 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 now if i'm lifting or if i'm working with a power lifter whose main goal is to lift as much as they can deadlift back squat and bench it's different Mm -hmm. we're going to train that way but I have never lift. I've never worked with a powerlifter, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So all of my people that I work with are movers. And the way we train the body has to lend itself well into their skill set, which is movement. Mm-hmm. And he's the main guy that's taught me that. I think number two would be Michelle Dalcourt, who is the creator of Viper, which is those rubber cylinder tubes. They have handles. Okay. The reason why he's such a big influence of mine is because he took that 
movement based philosophy and gave me framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, his certification and organization is called Institute of Motion, IOM. Okay. And he has basically given me framework on how to program design, on how to look at and organize specific types of movement. And I, I give him a lot of credit. I too. love seeing you use that with your athletes and mm-hmm. incorporate so much rotational work. Absolutely. That's, that's a huge missing component. Right. In you, you mentioned the, the category of strength and conditioning. But mm-hmm. when you look at a lot of strength and conditioning, a lot of CrossFit, what is it? It's linear. Correct. Right? Other than maybe like a Russian twist or some sort of pal like press up, get or a Turkish getup, like, get yep. like you're not seeing a lot of rotation. Correct. And I mean, you mentioned working with tennis players. You mentioned mm-hmm. NBA guys. You mentioned mm-hmm. football guys. Yep. All of those things encompass rotation. All of them. And more more rotation than not. Very, very minimally lin- linear. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you could argue sprinting is linear, but even that has a lot of rotation yeah. in it as well. Because we work from slings, as you know, so uh, we need to be able to access those slings effortlessly as well as execute with power and position. So that's why I feel like movement-based training should be something that a lot of people should look at because the fascial system and the fascial slings of human movement really play well into that type of training. Absolutely. Who would, who would the third person be? Third person, I would say, would be Franz Bosch. And he's a fellow out of, I don't remember where he's from, but it's some, but he's European, and he he's a polarizing figure, in the sense of how to how to institute motor control learning aspects as it applies to sport from the weight room, mm-hmm. and it's a different type of philosophy because it's like all right, if physical capacity is something that you lack, meaning you're just not strong enough to bull rush an offensive guard Mm -hmm. you need to build strength okay well how do i build that strength i lift weights now i have the horsepower if you will to create a better opportunity at bull rushing Mm -hmm. right makes sense however what about looking at specific movements that are very replicatable Mm -hmm. is that a word yeah replicatable or repeatable repeatable that come up all the time in athletic movement, like cutting, like jumping, single leg jumping, two foot, like sprinting. All of these specific small, minute motions, positions, or movements are continuously showing up. So what if we start training that in the weight room, which will carry over? So it's kind of like reverse engineering, breaking it down into its minimal parts, working on those minimal parts, and then when you put it back together, it's better. Mm-hmm. It's a better system, right? Yep engineer uh, philosophy if you will he's the one that came up with that was his name franz bosch franz bosch that's cool i'll show you some books I have yeah some i'll books. definitely have to check him out you, i think you will love him because you're you love at you love sport and movement he's a movement guy but he does train movement in the weight room that, that's he, what i think is just so cool like a lot of you know what you hear from college strength and conditioning rooms is like you're in here to get strong. Mm. It's very hard to have sport specificity yes. in the weight room. Yes. And you're finding ways to kind of bridge blur that, that line yes. and bridge that gap. Yes. Exactly. And that's what Franz is all about. Mm-hmm. Connecting the weight room to the play, play, play the pitch or the court. He, you know, he's European. It's the pitch. Yeah. I just think that's so cool. Cause <laughs> like there's so much polarization in the world right now, yeah. either or absolutely. Why can't you have both dogmatic man? That that's, that's so that's so rad that you guys are doing that. Yeah, you know I, I can't help just based out of curiosity around all this coaching philosophy, relationship building, education, 
family time. Mm. What does your training look like? Okay, so I'm going to be totally transparent. I haven't been training like that. I, 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 what I like to do now is move at any moment I can. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, you know, you might think this is nominal or not, but like if I'm with a client and he has a rack, I'm going to bang out max effort pull-ups. And mm-hmm. that's my movement for that moment. That's um, so funny. I mean, you, you can ask <laughs> clients that I work with. I'm doing push-ups, burpees, pull-ups yeah. next to them. Like, cause you got to find little m- moments of, of when you can like work out. A, I mean, I guess work out, but like, you're just literally just trying to stimulate the system. Yeah. Because you know that maximal effort and intensity has its worth and weight. Yeah. But like, am I scheduling every day, like an hour of training time in the weight room or on the field or whatever? I'm not currently right now. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a time restriction thing for me. But I do make sure I get my doses of movement in anytime I can. But one of the things that I will say that I do often is I play. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I have a coaching group that they're all trainers and we all play basketball. We all play flag football. We all play soccer. We play beach volleyball. We play sports that we never played before and we're no good at, but, uh-huh. but we like to figure it out. Yeah. And that's the art of who we are. Yeah. We, the we power want... of being a beginner again, What? learning and exposing yourself to Man. new philosophies. Like, and that's letting go. Yeah. Right? Who wants to look like they're trash at anything? Yeah. Not me, but I'm okay with it because it's just helping me discover intuition into a, a area of my brain that I'm not really in touch with. I love that. And I really need that. You know what I mean? I feel like we all do. I mean, you, you look at the evolution of, <clears throat> of a human being, mm. a child comes out of the womb squatting perfectly. Perfect. A child comes out of the womb with imagination mm-hmm. and curiosity. Mm-hmm. What happens to that as adults? Yep. And if you can, Stop you know, playing. go back to the playing roots. <laughs> Play. I mean, you're going to, you're, you're going to have invention. You're mm-hmm. going to have no. creativity. Yep. You're going to find ways to try to cheat, right? Any sort of competition, Absolutely. you're going to try to, you yep. know, do what you can to try to get to the outcome of winning. Figure it out. Yeah. Yep. I, I think Absolutely. that's so rad that you're doing that. And, and honestly, I think it's very important to share that with a lot of people in Absolutely. this industry, because how often do you see a burnt out performance or strength coach mm. just set up the bench press yep. be grumpy in the corner yeah drink their bcaas and, yep. and get by on on coffee and pre-workout yep and then they lose their passion and they phase out and 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 the, the whole conversation of oh what was yep back in the day i was doing x y and z and it's yep. like if you continue to play you maintain your passion your enthusiasm yep. and i mean as you mentioned passion and enthusiasm are two things that you bring to the table Every single every day. day. Every day. And if I don't, I robbed you. Yep. I stole your money. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you think that way. Yeah. Just I, always honing your craft and, yeah. you know, trying to provide the best product you possibly can. Facts. I think that aspect of play uh, also has to do with the movement in itself. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we're performance coaches. We should be able to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. And the day that I'm unathletic is the day I step away from coaching. There you go. Period. And if I can't demonstrate with perfection and or step into a spike ball game with my athletes and compete or mm-hmm. step into, you know, one-on-ones or something or, or, you know, whatever it is that involves athletic movement, that's the day that I'm going to walk away because yeah. we have to be the model mover as well. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that. And, and too many times I've seen coaches that can't move. They can move really well under a bar, but let's go play basketball. Let's go play football. Let's go play volleyball. Mm-hmm. Let me see you move here. Yeah. And, and 
when you show athletes that you can move athletically, whether it's on a basketball court, football, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's another compliant piece. Yeah. Huge compliant yeah. piece. So that's also why we continue to do that. That's really rad. Yeah. Well, well, you have to come down. Oh, yeah. You have to oh, you, or actually come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come down to come up in, in some ways, right? What, what are your thoughts on like the nutrition piece, right? Like you talked about yeah. recovery, nutrition. You know, I, I'm sure there's times yeah. where you got to help guys gain weight, lose weight, maintain. Mm. You talk about inf- in inflammation management. Yeah. You know, do you work with some of these guys' personal chefs? Do you write meal yes. plans? What What does the nutrition, you know, side of things look like for you? Because of the fact that they're so, they're such at a remedial level nutritionally. They, meaning NBA basketball players, it doesn't really lend itself into expert nutrition advice mm-hmm. because it's like you can fix the simple things and have huge results. Oh, yeah. For instance, stop eating gummy bears at 12 o'clock at night. I bet you you'll feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. so to speak. For instance, won't you have breakfast before practice? It doesn't have to be a freaking huge spread, but have some oatmeal with some banana and maybe you might start to feel a little bit more energy throughout practice. You know, mm-hmm. obviously everybody's separate individually in terms of like what they need and what type of interaction that you have with them in terms of that type of advice. But I think what I'm trying to say is, is you're just trying to fix the already really broken things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And triage in some ways. What one thing is going to have a lasting impact in many things? For sure. And I think that once you can get so generally what happens is, is you won't get into like the nitty gritty of performance nutrition until they're like 27 mm-hmm. because now they're reaching yeah. for like longevity. Yeah. You how, know what I mean? how can I keep getting paid? How can I stay injury free? Exactly. And how can I provide for my family? Because at 21, you can speak about it. I can speak about it. We could eat anything and everything yeah. and be the best that we've ever been. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> like we can say that. We can have 21-year-olds hear that, yep. but the human mind is conditioned to be like, what can I get away with, yep. right? Like, yep. wh- what are your thoughts on, like, creating compliance? Like, do you show examples of guys, like, being one-hit wonders and phasing out because they didn't take care of themselves? Yeah. Like, what, what do you and the nutritionist or, or the chef kind of do right. synergistically yeah. to make that com- communication clear to the athlete? I just try to get people to experiment with me for a certain amount of days. So mm-hmm. I never I never say don't eat this. Mm-hmm. Like never you should eat that or never should you drink that unless it's alcohol. I'm always going to say don't drink alcohol. That's one of the worst things you could ever drink. But in terms of recovery. But let's say, for instance, I had an athlete that loves Pop-Tarts. Loves them. Like eats them every day. So I'm like, all right. Oh, okay. This is a tough one because Pop-Tarts is one of the most processed foods you can ever have. It's like complete garbage. But... He loves them, so I don't want to take that away from him, right? That's that's the whole psychology, emotional attachment to this. Yeah. And not only does he love them, he eats them always late at night. It's like a bedtime snack. Mm-hmm. So you're getting that insulin spike right before you go to bed. Do you think that that sleep is going to be quality? Probably not. So I'm just like, all right, how can I continue to give him a Pop-Tart option that still is somewhat similar to the emotional happiness it's that so he cool you're, you're, you're giving options now in nutrition similar to like exactly. how your friend was giving exercise options facts and look at you being a little nutrition sponge over trying, here trying to just understand psychology human psychology 101 right so i go into my homework mode and i start researching healthy popped homemade pop tarts 
and I look for an, a recipe that has, you know, the the non-inflammatory type ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, cornstarch, refined sugar, um, corn syrup, uh, wheat flour. You know, these types of things. What's the cleanest uh, recipe that we can refer to? He had a chef that I can give to the chef, and then boom, we can see if this works. Sent it to the chef. He chefed it up, and uh, the athlete was super happy. So it's just like, all right, I was able to pivot slightly, but still give the athlete what he was looking for, and nothing really changed from terms of his emotional happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's just a great example to create imagery as to how you are not only just a performance coach, but you're also like just being a good friend. That's it. Right? Like you're you're recognizing a bad (laughs) habit that they have. And then you're working with the team to create a better habit. That is it. That still keeps the athlete happy and performing at a high level. Yep. Pretty much. Just be a good friend. Yeah. That's, that's rad, man. You know what I mean? But you know, um, it takes time. And I feel like that's where a lot of coaches don't want to invest. It's like, all right, I'm, I did my job. I put my eight hours in, I'm Mm -hmm. at home. Whereas the one percenters, we're going to take that extra step because we care. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the special sauce that people can't really it's the write text it down. reach out. It's right. observing the yeah. story. It's observing the lifestyle. And, and they're then, like, and man, then, yeah, this dude is like, he really cares about me. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like. That's, and, and what's cool, that's too, is that like it's not a facade, right? Like you've consistently done this for 12 plus years and like right. you continue to do it. And that's just a, a testament to your character and, mm-hmm. you know, how you continually you. you show up. Right. Like, I mean, I, I know Drew and I, I observed him, you know, he went to Campbell Hall. I went to Taft. We played against each other mm-hmm. in high school. We played a little bit with the pump brothers mm-hmm. with pump and run growing up. And like, he, he's real, you know, his family is real. There's Super. a reason why yeah. all three of his brothers are in the NBA. There's a reason why the Pelicans hired you as, as a consultant mm-hmm. after just working with Drew. And yeah. there's a reason why you continue to work with the likes of Anthony Davis and some of these guys sure. that are NBA caliber players. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, you know, we, we, we all kind of watched the last dance throughout the, this quarantine period, Absolutely. right? Like super rad to see <laughs> the, the, the ins and outs of the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. Mm. And, you know, we, we got to see the lifestyle of Rodman. We got to see that like mm. very rarely when Michael Jordan was on camera, did he not have a cigar in his mouth. Mm. What are your thoughts on allowing guys to yeah. unapologetically be themselves but then reel them in to ensure that they take care of their job responsibilities. Like yeah. I've been around these basketball guys. They're awesome. They're amazing at their craft. They're fun to be around, but some of them do love to party. And you a know, lot of them. what are your thoughts on like, how, how do you optimize professional lifestyle with yeah. that play lifestyle, which is also important to human psychology. So they get sure. that break and that, that time away. Phil Jackson was, is the master at, creating that buy-in and that context of, you know, this is a relationship that isn't a dictatorship. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a collaboration. Yeah. And I think that that is the biggest testimony to the way he was able to create compliance and buy-in was his, his ability to recognize that Dennis Rodman needed to go to Vegas for five days or whatever it was mid-season, mm-hmm. let him do it, and just said, hey, when you come back, you better show up ready to go. Mm-hmm. Rodman said, okay, no problem. And what happened? They, they conditioned, and Rodman led the conditioning drills. Mm-hmm. So how he was able to 
to create that that type of relationship with Ramen as well as know that that was going to work is beyond me because I don't know if anyone would ever do that mm-hmm. now in the future whatever just to let a guy just bounce for a few days to just to go you know release you know whatever he needed to release and then come back and be ready to go for the playoffs mm-hmm. but he did it he made that decision and it worked mm-hmm. so I think that that's a, a kind of a segue into me saying that understanding your people knowing who your people are getting to get making it a point to get to know who your people are is such a big part of creating the relationship that's going to succeed so that if and when you start to recognize trouble in the water, you're able to pivot, figure it out, you know, iron it out, and then keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. And in terms of just figure, you know, learning and understanding how to balance the right from the wrong, even though it's right to give them the wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. is again understanding who who you, who's in front of you, who, who yeah. you're talking to, right? Yeah. I think that's a great analogy. How, how does somebody realize that a stove is hot? They got to touch a hot stove every now and then. Ooh, I don't want to do that. Right, exactly. And if you don't invest the time, again, time, into getting to know someone, you'll never understand mm-hmm. what makes him hot or what makes him cold, right? Yeah. You, have to, you have to invest that time. So he would give a book to every one of his players based off of his relationship and what he knows about that person. Whether yeah. or not they read it is doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's still a token that when I receive this book from Phil and I actually do open it up, oh my gosh, like this dude is like speaking to my heart. Mm-hmm. And now you're you're going to do anything that that man asked you to do because you know you know that he has your back. Absolutely. So I want to have like a camera crew follow you. <laughs> so so that I can just like learn the ins and outs as to like, you just seem like such a master in relationship building. Oh, man. And, and I, I hope to envy that. And I hope some of the listeners well, can kind of envy that a little bit. That means so much to me because I think that the emotional intelligence piece is such a big piece. Yeah, man. Primal leadership. I forget the name of the author, but read that book. It, it's like we're on the same wavelength. My, my next segue <laughs> or question was going to be like, Hey, what's a, what's a great book to share with people? There it is. So primal leadership. Primal I'm downloading that leadership. on audiobook today. Will change your life. Absolutely, man. In terms of what we just talked about, like mm-hmm. he goes into, the author goes into exactly what I just said, how you're able to lead different types of people mm-hmm. and, you know, fill their, fill their bucket. Yeah. If a leader is not filling your bucket, you're not going to want to follow that leader. Yeah. It's a bad leader. Mm-hmm. If you're always pointing your finger at people, you're a bad leader. Point it right here. Right here. Take, take a look in the mirror. Practice extreme ownership, right? Jocko talks Jocko. about that. Jocko. Yep. I read right? that one too. Great book. That's a, that's a really, really good book. Yep. Are there any failures that you can like pinpoint at the top of your brain that you're like, A, I'm never doing that again. Mm. And B, I learned a lot from that experience so that I could foster better relationships mm. and master my craft in a, in a much more elaborate way in the future. Nothing really comes to mind in terms of like big, big, big failures where it was, you know, a huge like catastrophic, event. catastrophic, psychologically, you know, altering like, damn, I, I better not ever do that again or I better. But, I, you know, I, I feel like we all go through daily failures and, you know, being able to navigate those failures. Failures aren't nothing more than lessons to me Mm -hmm. that I try to catalog as such so that we can frame it from a positive perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I try to always look at things from the half full perspective and and just know that this happened because this so that next time it comes around, I'll be better prepared because I learned not to do that, like Mm -hmm. so to speak. 
but I, I can't really think of anything that comes to mind immediately of like a huge career failure where you know maybe I hurt somebody or something like that I mean mm-hmm. obviously one of the biggest failures that you can do as a performance coach is hurt somebody mm-hmm. oh you know what I'm ready okay here's here's one of the biggest failures that I definitely corrected and learned from I was independent an independent contractor basically in the private sector ever since I started training I never was really in corporate America so to speak. I've always been kind of like the leader of my mission. And when I went to the Pelicans my first year, this is a very corporate structured workplace. There are levels levels of like communication and ranks. Like you need, before you do anything, you need to talk to this person and that person needs to talk to this person mm-hmm. and it needs to be cleared by that guy before you. And by the time the answer comes back down to you, the, the, the opportunity is gone yeah that's hard when you take a very intuitive like relationship building approach it's really tough me being in the independent world for 10 years before i joined the pelicans i didn't ever take the proper channels of executing specific actions towards players that i should have Mm -hmm. and at the time i'm just like dude all i'm doing is just making this player better why are you guys tripping like the player's happy. He's better. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Mike, this isn't Mike's world anymore. You have to do things in a certain way because this is the way things are. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard and difficult for me to understand that. I yeah. didn't believe in that. I, I, I always thought like, no, man, let's just do what's best for the player. But who, do, who is to say that I'm the one that should decide that? Mm-hmm. There are medical professionals. There are other performance coaches. There, are, this is an NBA franchise. All these guys are experts in their in their field, respective fields. So why am I the guy to not have to follow those rules? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was definitely one of the biggest lessons that I could ever have learned in my career. A, not being in that world helped me understand that there is a certain way to do things and execute and make decisions. And B. Who knows if you're ever put into that position or in a position to help someone that's in that position Mm -hmm. to say, nah, look, you have to learn one way or another to work within the confines of that philosophical structure of corporate. And that's okay Mm -hmm. because great ideas will always get heard. It's just all about timing yeah. and be patient. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that was one of the biggest lessons. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That's not always easy. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great learning lesson that's definitely going to serve you moving forward and what, sure. whatever endeavor you decide to, uh, to dabble in. I got a couple of heavy hitters for you. I'm ready. If you were to uh, m- move on to your next life mm-hmm. and, and have a saying on a billboard, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what would you like that saying to say? One of the ones that stick to me well uh, really – close to my heart is the man whom wakes before the sun is the man who feeds his family. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Can you unpack that a little bit? That's a Chinese proverb Okay. that I stumbled across probably looking for inspirational quotes Mm -hmm. because I do that. You know, sometimes I need inspiration to inspire. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) We all do. I've got, you know, books in in, in my backpack right here that, Mm -hmm. you know, I I lean on quite a bit. Sure. And uh, I, 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 read that one and that one touched me close because the military philosophy is sleep when you're dead. Now I don't believe in that philosophy physiology wise Mm because we need our sleep. However, it's basically the notion that sleep when it's necessary, but hustle all the time. Yeah. And that's who 
I was for the first 10 years of my career. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've been able to get into the realm that I am in now. Yeah. I, there was a, not one person that I've come across will ever tell me I'm lazy. Yeah. And that's a fact. No, that's, that's a hundred percent fact. And I get, I get, yeah. I get to watch it and, you know, be a fan from afar. I, I think you're really doing things the right way. And I, I, I dig you. your vibe. Thank you. I, I think it's really cool that, you know, you, you practice this element of just constant homeostasis, mm. you know, learning from failures, learning through adversity, yep. staying very calm, always putting your family first and, and, you yes, know, sir. honing back to your foundation of that military background and yes, discipline sir. that your dad instilled in you, which is really cool. Yep. What, what's the legacy or the impact that you would like to leave on the world? My legacy is definitely going to perceive me as someone who cared, who was passionate, and who was always forward thinking. Yeah. And there are a few things that I'm doing right now in this present moment that is going to establish those three things long before I, I leave this earth or long after I leave, leave this earth. And I don't have children yet, but when we decide to have kids those values will be instilled and they will continue to to precede all of us until the end of time because this is something that it's not it's never about me yeah it's never about us it's about the world yeah and and I, and I think that when you're selfish you close yourself off you know you put yourself in a box and that's not that's not being human being human yeah. is 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 caring for other humans so mm -hmm. That's that's where, where that comes from. Well, thank you so much for your time and energy today. <laughs> I really appreciate you letting me come up and spend some time with you well, dur during you, the COVID-19 pandemic and, yeah. you know, connect with you as, you know, you're, you're kind of transitioning to this new chapter and, yes. and, and, and some cool new things that you're working on that I look forward to seeing and, yeah. you know, hopefully helping along the way. For sure. Is, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with, with our audience? Yeah, I just want to say thank you, first and foremost, to you uh, for coming out and having this little chat, it, it, it really is a pleasure to be here with you and, and talk with you about my story. I do want people to know that whoever listens to this, obviously we, we have very, very special things on the horizon coming in the next few months. Just be ready to, to, to take advantage. It's something super special, and I promise that I will not fail to deliver. We will not fa fail to deliver. This is a, this is a team effort, and um, just be on the lookout for it. That's rad, man. Where can people find you? The easiest way to find me, the most common area to find me is Instagram. And my handle is Mr. Do It Moving. Yeah. Mr. Do It Moving. I hashtag GBG a lot. And uh, that's an acronym for what's to come in the next few months. So just, just remember GBG. That's rad, man. Well, thank you so much once again for allowing us to come up, spend some time with you. I think your <laughs> philosophies are rad, man. Thank you. Your dog is twice as rad as your philosophies, though. <laughs> She's and, been um, the whole time. <laughs> it has been rad, man. I, I think it's so cool to connect and yeah, share. Man. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that really resonate with your coaching philosophy Perfect. and with your methodology. So thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. And please don't forget, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.